So, um, hello, I'm James. Uh, I'm the Associate Vicar here. If you're new uh, here for the first time, it's great to have you uh, here with us. Uh, and this morning, um, it's the second week of Advent. And you believe, that's a very weak kind of, oh my goodness, two weeks in, we're back here again. But it really is, it's that time of the year again, isn't it? It feels like, for us, it feels like it's come around uh, really fast. Uh, the Advent wreath is lit, we're on the countdown. Has anybody decorated yet? Of interest, we, we did last night, well done, yeah. Wonderful, we did last night. It always takes slightly longer than you expect it to, and halfway through you kind of lose hope altogether. <laughs> uh, that tends to be, that's what it felt like for us. Uh, but there we go. Uh, but there's always something uh, shaping our year, isn't there? Um, be it Advent, be it Christmas, um, whether we realise it or not. It might be for some the apprentice season. Uh, I don't know, I've not watched it this year. Uh, I kind of got a little bit bored of watching those people. I kind of couldn't watch anymore. So I gave up on the apprentice. Or maybe it's a Strictly Come Dancing. Team Stacy. Great, it's Team Stacy, that's me and Emia. Yeah. Um, uh, it all frames our year, whatever it may be. It might be school holidays, it might be the sales. What are you thinking? I'm, I'm saving up for the sales. That's going to be the big one this year. I don't know, maybe that's you. Maybe it's Wimbledon, maybe it's the Formula One, maybe it's the football. Um, Derby County, a third in the championship. I just thought I'd get that in there. Uh, whatever it is that captures your attention during the year, there are these things that kind of uh, are like pillars in our year, that shape our year. Whether we like it or not, that tends to be what it is. But it's also great, isn't it, to anticipate the approach of a spiritual season, which is Advent leading up to Christmas. It's why we have this kind of prolonged time throughout December, uh, when we know our thoughts will be focused on God becoming man, Jesus, focused on Jesus and what it means uh, to us about what he's done and what he will do in what scripture says he will return to restore all things uh, to be the way they're supposed to be. Have a look in Revelation 21, read all about it. It's quite an amazing hope that we have. Uh, In Advent and Christmas we remember that hope. Every year it comes around again and we go, oh my goodness, he's done what he did on the cross and he's going to come again and restore all things. Without that second bit, we kind of wonder what on earth's going on half the time. But in Advent, we, we remember that. Um, so each year, uh, as a church, many churches do the same. Uh, we, um, uh, to help us in Advent, we have a Christmas theme. And in this year, it's already on the screen, so there we go. Our um, theme is light. There we go. Quite an easy one at Christmas. Uh, So as we go through Advent and then look to Christmas, the Christmas story, as we get closer to Christmas, we find ourselves resonating with various parts of it. Because it's all people on a journey, isn't it? It's all people on a journey when God intervened in history in an incredible way. Quite an incredible way. Do I need to change microphones? I can just hear loads of ringing. No? Is it just me? My ears? Fine. There we go. Um, So whether you regard yourself as a follower of Jesus this morning, uh, someone who's been struggling with doubts, uh, someone who's just intrigued by the person of Jesus in some way, maybe you were given a flyer and a mince pie at some point and you've ended up here, whatever it may be, um, this Advent and this Christmas, let's consider the light that Jesus brings to our lives um, and the world around us. Again, let's consider it again. So I want to read this morning from Isaiah chapter 9. So if you want to switch your Bible on, 
um, we'll, we'll go from there. Otherwise, there's some uh, Bibles at the back on the shelf, and it's page 694. Um, if you struggle like me to find it sometimes. And it will also be on the screen. So we've covered all options with our Bible reading. There you go. So Isaiah 9, beginning at verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zeb- Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For unto us, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a prophecy of what was to come for God's people, written in the book of Isaiah. The hope that was going to dawn, ultimately, we know in Jesus. And each year we get to the point, don't we, where the clocks change um, and it feels like we only get a little bit of light in the day. We may wake up in the dark and often we return home in the dark. Um, It's dark outside, it's getting colder, it's getting rainy. I wish I could say it was getting snowy, but it doesn't seem to be going that way at the moment. But I couldn't help but think of the parallels of this time of year when we're looking at this passage talking about walking in darkness because it's often physically dark a lot of the time at this time of year so it always reminds me so it starts doesn't it the people walking in darkness have seen a great light you've probably heard this passage before uh, every christmas every advent um, it's uh, spoken about it's attached to the advent season christmas is coming Uh, And Christmas lights, I'm sure you know, are all part of this idea reminding us that it was once dark, but when God showed up on the scene, light had come. That's why it's so easy to talk about light at Christmas. Because when light enters the darkness, the darkness is no more. There's lights everywhere, whether people are putting that to Jesus and God or not. There are lights everywhere, on every building, in every shop. It was once dark, and when God showed up on the scene, light had come. And this passage is about a hope that God gives to Isaiah, that although things are dark, light is coming. It's something that speaks to the people then, but it also speaks to us today when we put our hope in Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. This hope dawned, and we stand in that light. 
But who are these people who are walking in darkness? I thought we'd have a little look at that today. Uh, it talks about the people in the land of Nebulum and the land of Naphtali. Now, that's how I say it in the north. If you say it differently in the south, come and correct me afterwards. Naphtali is what we're going for this morning. These people uh, were camped away from the rest of the people of God. This is a bit of history for you. Um, they were the most exposed to those who were wanting to fight the people of God. They were in the northern regions of the Promised Land. So they were the first to come under attack by foreign invaders at this point. That's who these people were. It was in the time of Ahaz, the king, and the tribes of Judah uh, were not as strong as they had been in the past. And the Assyrian kingdom was getting stronger and stronger and was expanding closer and closer to the people of God. Almost felt like they were in close pursuit of them. The pressure was on. When are they going to invade? We're in danger. We don't know what we're going to do. They were in a bit of a sticky situation. It was one of those really pressured times for them. So there was the threat of these enemy kingdoms attacking all the time. That's the kind of the context. The darkness of being attacked was getting too close for comfort for them. And they were beginning to think, maybe we need to make some allegiances outside the ways of God with these people that are going to attack us. Maybe we aren't as safe as we thought under the protection of the one true God. Things are getting pretty dark. Is he really who he says he is? Maybe we just need to compromise a little bit. It would only be sensible for our own good to take our own safety, our own life in our own hands rather than the God of heaven. So what would often happen is that the kings were tempted to form allegiances with bigger nations by, for means of protection. Um, in such an alliance, a smaller country uh, was put in the position of keeping Big Brother happy. As long as you don't upset Big Brother, you're safe and you're protected. Which would often mean building temples or idols to Big Brother's gods that weren't the God of Israel, the one true God. So this, of course, was going to threaten the people of God's distinctive faith, people of the one true God. The promise of political protection wasn't worth the spiritual price. But there was a threat on the horizon. They craved worldly security over what the one true God had offered them and promised. So a question for all of us, how easy is it to do that? I mean, very easy if you're about to be attacked, I should imagine. But how easy is it for us to do that when the pressure's on, when it looks pretty dark? Just compromise a bit, take it into my own hands a little bit. Is God really who he says he is? Is he really that big? Has he really got big enough shoulders for my problems at the moment? Do we sometimes begin to go down that road? But why are these people walking in darkness? It might be the perceived darkness of threat of attack. I'm sure this contributed to what the passage is talking about, darkness. That's a pretty dark place to be when at any moment you could be attacked and killed. That's quite dark. But the Hebrew word for darkness, I've read. I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I don't claim to be an expert, but I've read around this. It seems to indicate something different was going on here than simply the threat of attack. The Hebrew word for darkness throughout the Bible has different meanings, but these meanings all point to the same thing. For example, creation in Genesis, darkness covered everything until God spoke 
and he created. Darkness covered everything until God spoke. And then he created and light came. Darkness is therefore when we're without God, before God has spoken. A spiritual darkness. Those who didn't know Israel's God, when, when people are totally wrapped up in the darkness of sin, sin being the stuff that separates us from God, who is the life giver, who is light itself. But why are these people walking in the dark? They're familiar with the ways of the people of God. They're part of the people of God. Why are they walking in darkness? It doesn't seem to make sense. And I believe this was the darkness of unbelief. It was the darkness of unbelief. I've heard about you, God, but I'm not really sure you exist. I'm a regular churchgoer, but I'm not entirely sold on who you are. Or if you do exist, I'm not really sure you're interested in me. Or that you care, or that you want to be close to me. See, it's a darkness of unbelief that clouds our hearts and our spirits when we allow it to. I hear about, I sing about God, but I often think, are you really there? Or am I just singing to the clouds? Is this real or is it just a bit of a fairy tale? We're going to get to some good news, don't worry. I'm not dismantling everything. If you are real God, real as you seem to those around me who've got their hands in the air, do you really care about me? Why are you not as real to me as you seem to them? Things are getting really bad at the moment. Darkness is really surrounding. Maybe all this is not what I thought it was. We can begin to enter this unbelief. Has anybody ever entered, gone down that road before? A little bit, maybe? Yes? Yeah. Good. It's not just me then, because then you'd all have to talk to me at the end. But look at the world around us. And we often say, look at the world around us. But look at the world around us. We, can, we have a sense of darkness that appears to be getting darker a lot of the time. And there's a sense of hopelessness that can come with that. What on earth can little me do? A bit closer, many of us can probably think of ongoing situations in our lives that can seem like darkness. At times it can lead us down a road of unbelief. At times it can even seem like there is no light at all. This passage says no. This passage says no. Whatever darkness you're in, whatever events of life that have taken place, however dark it has gotten in your life or in the world around you, it doesn't have the last say. There is hope, there is life and light in Jesus Christ. God incarnate, who came to rescue the weak, the strong, the rich, the poor, the downtrodden, the oppressed, the lost, the hurting, the confused, the clever, the dim, those who go about life as though everything's fine. 
and don't even know they need a saviour. That God has broken into human history, died on a cross, then rose again victoriously, and has had the last say. Death itself is beaten, darkness could not overcome him, and now he offers life and light in all its fullness. This passage says no, Jesus has done it. So what are the effects of entering into this unbelief? The effects of this darkness. The first thing is we're blinded. If we were to shut off all the lights, cover all the windows in here, it would go dark, as you're probably aware. We would be blinded. We would have no frame of reference. The Hebrew word means to grow dark, to go blind. The blindness of unbelief in God makes our hearts and spirits grow dark. In 2 Corinthians 4 it says this, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, those with unbelief, so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. Or in another translation, if our message is obscure to anyone, it's not because we're holding back in any way. No, it's because other people are looking or going the wrong way and refuse to give it serious attention. All they have eyes for is the fashionable God of darkness. They think he can give them what they want and that they won't have to bother believing a truth they can't see. They're stone blind to the day spring brightness of the message that shines with Christ who gives us the best picture of God we'll ever get. Don't you love that? Bit of the message translation for you. But there's a spiritual blindness that comes with unbelief. How can I be sure you're there? Maybe Richard Dawkins is right. Is there proof? We see truth, beauty and good news all around us, but as we allow our hearts to lean into unbelief, even though we're singing about truth, even though we're doing things in the name of truth, in the name of Jesus, our eyes go dark. Because it's the darkness of unbelief. What's the second thing? We start to get lost. The people walking in darkness. I don't know about you, but when I walk around in the dark, I bump into things. <laughs> Quite practically, I bump into things. When the darkness comes, we're walking around trying to find meaning or safety, aware of exposure of threats or the pains of life that we all know. We're fumbling around, wondering if God is there. And if he does, does he want to know me? What happens, we will be slightly off course. Even on a well-trodden path, if we walk in the dark, we'll end up slightly off course because we can't see. We start to get lost. Is anybody a sleepwalker in here? <laughs> Great. I'll talk to you at the end. I'd love to hear another one. Um, I, as a kid, um, I don't do it so much now. I have, I've been known to have the old sleepwalk episode. But when I was a kid, I often used to sleepwalk. And I apologise if I've already shared this story. But there was one time um, when um, my parents, I was in bed, my parents were downstairs watching TV or whatever. Um, and they just heard me begin slowly coming down the stairs. I'm like, okay, James is having a sleepwalk episode again. And apparently I walked straight past the living room door without really acknowledging them. I walked into the kitchen, opened the fridge door, relieved myself, shut the fridge door, and then walked back up the stairs to bed. 
Why not? Sleepwalking. I was completely off course to the bathroom at that point because I was asleep. It was dark. I had no idea where I was and I had no recollection of it other than there was nothing in the fridge, thankfully, the next morning because they had all gone. We start to get lost. I said to Emily, is that an appropriate story to share that I relieve myself in the fridge? Why not? If it offended you, I'm sorry. I'll speak to you at the end. Um, the third thing is we begin uh, to forget. Those living in the land of the shadow of death uh, forget what it, what it actually is to live in the light. We just forget. When uh, we live in the dark, our eyes begin to adjust after a while. Uh, just scientifically, it seems, our eyes begin to adjust in some way. You know, I can actually just about find my way. Um, we forget what it is to live in the light. We just forget. We forget what it's like to have life. When there's no light, our lives are controlled by darkness. When people give in to unbelief, they become blinded, they get lost, they begin to forget. And that's what was happening to God's people in Isaiah at this point. That's what often happens to us. But thankfully, the passage moves on. We see what happens, don't we? The light has come, hope is coming. We see the appearance of light. And when light comes, light comes and finds them. They've set up camp in darkness, in the darkness of unbelief. They see a great light and it comes to them. It comes when they least expect it without any effort of their own. The light appears and finds them. And in a similar way, the light finds us. Repeatedly finds us. Not just once. We may veer off to the right or the left and the light finds us and it brings us home. Repeatedly. It restores vision. Without light, we can't see anything properly as I've just shared. Light prevents us from confusion and hazard and fridges and all sorts of things. But when the light appears, it heals our blindness, our spiritual blindness. Without light, we may begin to make things out. Our eyes are just, but light restores full vision, full life, full living. Light brings truth. They can suddenly see with clarity what the hope they have as God's chosen people. It reminds them of what they forgot. That's what it's like to live in the light. I didn't realise we got that far off course. We were just fumbling around a little in the darkness. It reveals error. It doesn't just stop and say you're wrong. It then shows us the path of life that Jesus has shown us when light comes. This is the light of Jesus. So for a ma- imagine for a moment light dawning in today's world. Let's take poverty as an example. What does it mean for light to dawn on poverty? What does it look like? How about fear? How about worry? How about sickness? How about death? What does it mean for light to dawn? In verse 3, it talks about it being open to all people, prophesying this being for Jew and Gentile and the joy that this prophecy will bring. 
when the light comes. Verse 4, it talks about an end of oppression. Verse 5, it talks about the end of war when light dawns. And all of this was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. God spoke to Israel about a time when his kingdom would come here on earth. That is God's heavenly kingdom. Kingdom, the king's domain. Implying authority and lordship. When the things of Jesus are the things that are there and there's nothing else. The realm of God's dominion, the realm of all sufficiency is the realm called the kingdom. And we pray it, we prayed it this morning in the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. It is the prayer we pray most weeks. Again and again. And Isaiah is so sure of this hope that he writes as though it's in the present, that it's, that it's right now, as though it's already happened. But we know he's talking, he's prophesying of the day when Jesus comes, a baby, as a baby. And we know the story. And he predicts that a child will be born. Uh, and the wonderful thing is that when he does, he comes um, to the very place in the New Testament is read from the very place where Isaiah was prophesying from in Matthew 4. I'd never noticed this before uh, because I've probably never put them side to side. But listen to this. Matthew 4. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, prison, he withdrew to Galilee, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in, in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. When Jesus does come, it's in the very place that Isaiah prophesied this message from. I just think that's amazing. It's literally said, it's, it, Jesus has stood in the place where Isaiah prophesied that from all that time ago. I, I, I was just completely taken aback by that um, when I prepared this. But it goes on. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali in the north, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Because he was the fulfilment. He was the light that had come. So final few things. How does this hope take place? And this is the best bit of the passage, really. It goes on to say, for unto us a child is born. He'll take over the running of the world. He'll be the wonderful counsellor, able, able to make plans beyond mere human capabilities, unlike the rulers of the day. He is mighty God. It's not a question of will he, won't he win. He is mighty. Mighty God. None compares to him. He's not just meek and mild. As C.S. Lewis puts it, he's not a tame lion, but he's good. He's not a tame lion. He's mighty God, but he is good. He's an everlasting father, asserting the fact that he's a protector. He cares for his people. He's a prince of peace. He will bring peace to the nations with his rule and reign. Because light has come. And we stand in this time now where Jesus has come and he will come again restore all things. That's what Advent's about. We begin to remember what he's done and what he will do. 
The kingdom that Jesus began when he first came will be completed when he returns. And we live in the in-between times. The now and the not yet, as some people put it, of God's kingdom. And one day, he will come and make it all the way it's meant to be. This is what one person says. We are to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission as a sign of the first, what Jesus has done, that we'll celebrate at the Lord's Supper. And a foretaste of the second, we pray your kingdom come, bringing the life of heaven, the light of heaven, into the present. It's easy to forget, isn't it, when all we see around us is darkness. Uh, Be it what we read or what we hear about around the world, be it the troubles in our day-to-day lives, we can begin to doubt, we can have unbelief. But God says to you, he says to me today, firstly remember, and then he says, light has dawned. Unto us a child has been born, a son has been given. Any darkness that is around now is but residue darkness from a former time. Any darkness that is around now is but residue darkness from a former time because light has come. We don't need to be flirting with the idea that this isn't real or it's too good to be true because Jesus has come and it's a firm hope that he's coming again. Battles may still rage and goodness, don't we feel it? This is not saying we're not feeling it. The battles still rage but the war is won. And it's only a matter of time till Jesus comes and renews it all. So, to finish, as we journey through Advent and into the celebration of Jesus coming to bring his kingdom, of light coming, Jesus invites us to consider his light again. Don't just go through the motions of Christmas. If you've got lights up, remember Jesus is light. If you see lights in town, remember that Jesus is light. He's the one that it all points to.